Welcome to the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Dan Hassler is a coach whose work focuses on creating happier, healthier and high performance. He works with leaders in order to help them and their people to thrive professionally and personally. Dan's clients include elite athletes and Olympians, as well as corporate and educational leaders. His new book, The Art of Leadership, will be published in August of 2021. I followed Dan's work for a number of years, and I've even had the privilege of doing some sessions with him. In this interview, we talk about why do so many teachers leave the profession? What can we do to better equip and support educators as we prepare them for an uncertain workforce? What does he think are the essential components of teacher training? And also, what has the ongoing pandemic taught us about the role of educators and the complexities of the job? I hope that you enjoy this wide-ranging and fascinating discussion with Dan. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Where uh, where are you calling from? I'm in Arncliffe in Sydney. Lovely. There are definitely worse places in the world than Arncliffe in Sydney. <laughs> there are indeed, especially especially at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. Um, just a couple of rapid fire questions, Dan, to get started. Um, what can you see outside of your window at the moment? Um, in my garden. So a palm tree and a big mango tree. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, what is your coffee order for when I can finally shout you a coffee? A double shot skim latte. Okay, that's not mucking around, is it? Double shot is... Uh... <laughs> Getting the job done and skim, obviously health conscious as well. So, Brian, uh, <laughs> fantastic. Um, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, who would be there? Yeah, well, right now, and this is going to sound a little bit uh, mushy, but right now it'd be my parents because they're in the UK, and um, you know, normally we'd see them relatively regularly, you know, at least once a year. But with the current scenario, um, not been able to, and and no, um, no date in mind do you know what I mean like we don't know when we're going to be able to get there or they get here so if I could have a dinner party with anyone right now it would be my family in the UK fantastic and whereabouts do you originate from in the UK hey, I'm in Manchester or was <laughs> was <I've lived laughs> for about 20 years uh, but yeah from Manchester originally yeah. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm originally from Nottingham, which isn't too far away from Manchester. Too far, no. Um, but yeah, my mum is also over there in a similar situation. We uh, we don't know when we'll get to see each other. Yeah. There's only so much that Zoom and uh, and uh, FaceTime can do. So it is, yeah. uh, hopefully that will change soon for you guys. Uh, what is your favourite book? It doesn't have to be educational. Uh, yeah. You can nominate your own book if you like. Uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't <but> do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But um Favorite book? I mean, I, I read relatively um, regularly, um, and I think my favorite book probably changes depending on the the mood I'm in or, or what I'm focusing on at the time. But what I would say is the two books which have had the biggest impact on me professionally would be um, Drive by Dan Pink. Yep. So in, in Drive, he talks, he really explores um, the theory of motivation, which is self-determination theory, yep. which um, we embed not only in teaching people about it in our work, but the way we go about our work is, is really embedded in those principles. Yep. And also, and it's a bit of a toss-up then, I mean, Mindset by Carol Dweck has been a really important book um, for me. It really... Um, 
was the starting point for a lot of work I do, not just in education, but also with athletes now and, and, and business leaders. Um, those two are probably like foundational books. And then there's, there's heaps of others like, you know, I could rattle off a reading list of 10 or 20, which I think people should, not should, that's the wrong word, but people would, um, if they're open to it, be able to get a fair bit from and, and apply it in their context. But those would be my two start points. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and I completely agree that it depends at what sort of point you're reading them. I know there's certain books that I revisit. I've actually just started revisiting some of the books I was reading at uni many years ago, and uh, they're actually quite good. I never read them while I was at uni. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, actually, it's interesting how different texts, uh, I guess, kind of speak to you or impact you depending on yeah. how you're feeling at that particular moment. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you are currently, um, uh, sorry, as you mentioned before, you're about to take a little bit of time uh, off with your family next week. Uh, what do you do on your days off? What's something that you are? Play my, yeah, play my guitar. Um, try and uh, my son, my son um, last year declared he joined a band. And he's, he was, he's 12, and he declared he joined a band, which we thought was quite interesting, given that he couldn't play any musical instrument and we yeah. never heard him sing. So, um, so when he decided he would join the band, he then decided he was going to play guitar or bass. So it's given me a nice little um, uh, reason to reconnect with my own guitar playing and sort of like try, you know, learning, learning these rock music that you know, my son all of a sudden is now discovering for the first time um so yeah so play a bit of guitar um amazing you know just hang out with the family it's uh yeah pretty pretty low-key <laughs> nice i uh fun fact i proposed to my wife uh, in a song that i wrote it wasn't particularly good particularly good but it did do the job i mean she said right. yes so there you go um, apparently it was supposed to have five chords but i was so nervous i could only remember one of them um, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it seemed to work but uh um Dan, on your website, it says, before moving to Australia, Dan was once identified on national TV as the UK's worst housemate. Yep. Please explain this and if you think it's a valid representation of you. Oh, I think it was very valid at the time. Um, so at uni, so when we weren't reading those books we were supposed to be reading at yeah. uni, um, me and my mates, we'd be sitting around watching daytime TV. And, and in England, it's a bit different to Australia, as, you, as you'd know. Um, you know, you tend to move away to go to university and you sort of get in a share house with a bunch of other people who are living away from home for the first time. Yeah, and we were just watching daytime TV and there was this show which was like the English version of like Jerry Springer. And um, they put a call out at the end of one of the episodes saying, we're looking for the UK's worst housemate, do you know them? And my mates all looked at me and went, yes, we do. And so they rang up. We got on the show. I obviously hammed it up a little bit. But, yeah, I was basically portraying, um, that, you know, a pretty, a pretty unhygienic, layabout, lazy housemate <laughs> who yeah. just caused drama for everyone. Most of it was an act, but I did it quite well to the point where people were stopping me in the street and, <laughs> and abusing me <laughs> for being so bad. But, yeah. I assume that you've obviously improved since then. Yeah, if you ask my wife, she might not agree with that. But yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think I have. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Um, so, uh, Dan, you work um, extensively in a number of different sectors, but where did it all kind of begin for you and what was your experience like at school? When I was at school, um, I was a typically cruisy kind of um student i.e i always had the idea that i'll put the i'll put the effort in when it really counts and i sort of 
um, that that day never necessarily came. You know, like when I realised, oh, now it's time to put the effort in. So I was, I was the, um, I was always told, you know, could do better. I was always told that I need to stop talking as much. Um, I need to just sit down and do what I've been asked. And but the one thing I had on my side was I was a pretty good um, rugby player, and that was essentially, if I'm being honest, the driving force behind me staying at school and not particularly choosing to stay at school at the age of 16 and go on and do A-levels. It wasn't my interest in doing the A-levels. It was my interest in continuing to play rugby. Yeah. And and so what happened there was I was kind of wasting my time academically in those final two years of school until my rugby coach, who was also the PE teacher, just found me not doing much during a study period and asked me if I wanted to come down and um, just help him out with a year seven a PE class and wow. I went down and it's it was one of the few times where um, an hour went by and it felt like 10 minutes yeah. um, my my usual experience of school was 10 minutes would feel like an hour and I'd, I'd sort of not want to look at the clock because it just depressed me about how much longer I had to go in this subject wow. and um it fascinated me that I lost all track of time when I was just showing these kids how to throw a ball and, and catch and, and whatever it was. And so I asked them, I asked my PE teacher, hey, how do I become a PE teacher? And he said, start working. <laughs> and, um, and that was basically the, um, the, the kickstart. And from there, I, yeah, I found, I found, um, I went to a university based on not only the, the fact it was a decent PE teaching college, but also it happened to be one of the best rugby league universities in the country at the time. So it all kind of fitted in quite serendipitously. Um, but yeah, I reckon probably about age 17, it was like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of, I love sport. And it turns out I quite like working with people younger than me, um, you know, in, in those kids. And yeah, that was it really. And, yeah. I, and there was never, there was no other plan. <laughs> there was, you know, that was it. <laughs> yeah, wow. Would you say that uh, obviously that, that teacher had a pretty significant impact on yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you uh, had a chance to uh, ever talk to them about that? Or? Yeah, yeah. So um, when I first got into this idea of, um, or the, the research area of positive psychology, one of the interventions they talk about is um, writing gratitude letters and mm. doing gratitude visits. And I wouldn't have spoken to this bloke for, uh, oh, well, I left school in 95 and I was thinking about doing this in 2010. So whatever that maths is, it's wow. a while. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I was back in the UK. I, I found him. Um, he'd, he'd since left the school. Um, but I found him and arranged for a, 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 a you know, a, a, to meet him at the pub. And um, yeah, I, I, I actually gave him a book Amazing. all around rugby, which was had this inscription that I put in to thank him for, for that. And then a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, he came out to Australia um, when the Rugby Lions, uh, the Brit British Lions were playing here, and we both went to that game. So, yeah, so it's, and, and we, you know, he still hits me up on Facebook now. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it's, it was certainly an important um, person in shaping yeah. where I've landed up. Amazing. And, and just kind of elaborating a bit on that, Dan, um, how, how did he make you feel when you went into his classroom? Like, how was... Yeah, I don't. That's an interesting one because it it wouldn't it it would not fall into that classic kind of um, yeah 
Well, I guess what I'm saying, like, he was very old school, right, which yeah. appeals yeah. to me. Um, but so he was a very old school guy. He was he was tough on you, um, but he but you also knew he had your back. Um, and you know, he definitely had my back. Like I, running parallel to me going off to um, uni, I was also forging or hoping to forge a career playing um, rugby, rugby league as well. And he was kind of instrument, instrumental is probably too strong a word, but certainly was a, a bit of a, a rock in that space as well. No, he wasn't that champion saying, Oh, yeah, go do it, go do it, but he was there saying, Hey. You know, you need to work on this, you need to work on that. But you never got the sense he was chipping you. You know, you never got the sense he was trying to knock you down or make you feel daft. It was, even though it was it was always how to improve, it was, you always got the sense that it was, he, he had your back. And I think that for me, as I've explored this further, I think that's the critical thing. He, he felt like an ally. He felt like he was on my side and he had my back. And it didn't matter that he was old school. It didn't matter that he was tough. It didn't matter that he probably used language that if he used it today, he'd probably get disciplined for, right? <laughs> but you, when you were with him, you knew he had your back. And I don't necessarily think as many young people have that feeling as perhaps they should or could. Yeah. Look, that's, that's really powerful. I know um, one of the guests on um, this podcast in the coming weeks will be my year three teacher, Miss Jones. And she, uh, she was just that person that I knew that when I walked into a classroom, I was seen, I was known, I was valued. I was and going through a particularly challenging time with my family in, over in the UK. So this was in, uh, in uh, Belper near Nottingham. Um, and I just knew that, that when I was in that classroom, she was tough. She didn't take my BS. She just, you know, was believed in me. And I think there's so many teachers out there that, that, um, that really have that great connection with kids. So it's really, it's really wonderful to hear, um, hear your story. What was his name, just out of interest? Uh, Dave Thompson. Mr. Thompson. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Mr. Thompson, if you're listening to this, uh, Dan says hi. Um, but Dan, so obviously you, uh, you work extensively uh, in the not-for-profit sector um, also uh, and within education, but you've also written a book called School of Thought. And um, that is to support the amazing work that work that the Indigenous Literacy Foundation is doing. Yeah. Um, and is it true that you've raised over fifty thousand dollars for that? Yeah. So that book. Um, so when, when you say I have, I don't think I have because I didn't buy any copies. So the people who bought the <laughs> copies have raised the money. I just put the book. But you in. haven't spent fifty thousand dollars on a copy, yeah? No. Or not? Yeah. Exactly. But um, <laughs> so um, yeah, that book was just. Um, series of all my blog posts so i started writing a blog probably in 2010 yeah wow and but it was in about 2016 i looked at all these and i thought right i might just pull all this stuff together and a few of the articles that i'd written for the sydney morning herald and and other outlets australian teacher magazine and i basically just pulled them all together and um sort of put them into different categories yeah. and then um yeah and then put it together in that book and, and put it out there and and um yeah, basically all the, and, and I felt like it was, you know, I couldn't charge people and then keep the profits for it. So I thought, well, what can, what can I do with it? And you know, the Indigenous Literacy Foundation is um, an amazing organization yeah. that goes out remote areas and delivers books and uh, programs to the hardest to reach kids and communities. So yeah, 50,000 um, um, is, yeah, pretty, pretty stoked with that, to be honest. So yeah. I've just finished, I've just finished writing another book actually, um, which is going to be published in, in August. 
um, through Wiley. So that's um, that's been taking up a lot of bandwidth um, over the past few months. Are you able to reveal the name of that book yet, or is that the- yeah, yeah? So it's um, it's called the Act of Leadership. Fantastic. And it's how to, uh, and then the subtitle is how to lead with humility, clarity, and purpose. And the premise of the book is, you know, everybody knows what they should be doing, but they're not quite sure on how to do it. And so the book um, is my attempt um, to cover a lot of ground, actually. So you know what? how most books typically take one or two ideas and go deep on those ideas? This book tries to cover a lot of ideas that people are kind of aware of. So they're, they're aware of, you know, the need for difficult conversations, the need for getting people to buy into change initiatives, yeah. the need for authentic engagement. Well, this book then says, right, you know all that. Now I'm going to coach you through how to do it. And so by using a coaching approach through the book, and it, this goes back to what we said right at the start when we're talking about what your favorite books are, it, it's designed so people can apply it whatever context they're in. So whether they're applying this as a, a school leader or um, even even a parent, you know, who's trying to influence or, or somehow lead their kids. Um, it's designed for people to apply, um, yeah, apply it in whatever context they're finding themselves in. Yeah, look, uh, I, Dan, I can't wait to get a copy and um, uh, yeah, I look forward to um, having a read of it. It sounds it sounds amazing. Um, a couple of broader questions, Dan. Um, for those uh, that aren't aware, what is the entity theory of intellect, and and how does it shape our mindset? A bit of a bit of a challenge for a um, Wednesday morning, but yeah. why is that something which which you write extensively about? Yeah, well, the entity theory of intellect is the belief that you're either born smart or you're not. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a certain amount of intelligence, and there's not much you can do about it. So the entity theory of of intellect really leans heavily on the nature side of the nature v nurture debate, um, and the, and and you know you'll hear people talk about this all the time. You know they'll talk about people not not having not just not having the goods. You know they they're they're really nice. Um, it's just a shame. You know they've not got much going on upstairs, and so. It, it, and, you know, you hear adults, you hear really, you hear really intelligent adults hold the belief that they might have maxed out in terms of their intellect, you know, that they don't have the ability to, um, you know, take on anything new or take on a new way of working or um, t- take on a different perspective of someone. You know, they'll say, they'll say things like, well, that's just who I am. You know, I'm not cut out for this. Or So the entity theory of intellect is kind of like the, that's kind of like the embryonic stage, if you like, of what's more commonly spoken about now as the fixed mindset, which is more broad than just intellect. You know, it, it can be quite domain specific. So you might have someone who knows they're intelligent, but they don't feel they're particularly um, creative or musical. You know, they might be brilliant, for example, with words, but numbers aren't their thing. And if they hold that fixed mindset or that entity theory of their ability with numbers or music or whatever, then they, they'll they'll limit their um, capacity to grow in the, in that space. Yeah, fantastic. And so, Dan, just a bit of an aside, what's something that you have had to relearn or, or, or maybe shift your mindset on recently? I know you mentioned before that you um, are learning the guitar with your son. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you've maybe had to, to tweak that mindset in yourself with? Yeah, the, the, to be honest, the main thing was um, recognizing that um, I can't, I can't change anyone, and that you know that's 
that's actually the, one of the most powerful realizations I've had because it changes the way I work and it takes the pressure off um, how we work as well. And, and the reason that that was such a um, realization is that as an educator, a lot of bright eyed young educators go into the, the, the job and you say, well, why? And you go, oh, I want to make a difference. You know, I want to, I want to help these kids. I want to do this. And when we actually realize that our ability to change, so even when you're talking about, um, you know, Dave Thompson before, you know, he, he actually created the space in which I could change. He didn't change me. That's why I was saying, you know, when it's about instrumental, well, he wasn't instrumental. He provided a space and then he was the rock and he had my back in order for me to change. And so that for me has been a real, it's, it's been a game changer for me to recognize that the work I do isn't for anyone, isn't for everyone until they realize it is. And the minute they realize it is, and the minute that they realize that we can create a space here and then I've got you back and I can support you through it, wow, you know, growth can be exponential. And that's the same for whether it's kids I work with at Youth Off the Streets or whether it's a corporate leader or whether it's one of the world's best NRL footballers. The point is, I can't change any of those people. But what I can do is create the space, create the conditions, and then have their back as they then decide to make a change and grow. Yeah, fantastic. And Dan, it's really interesting to hear you obviously talk a lot about um, the growth mindset and also variants of that and the work of the amazing Carol Dweck. She's been instrumental in my personal journey from afar, um, reading her books. Um, so are you uh, saying that we can actually develop for ourselves that growth mindset? I mean, how do we begin to... Um, how do we learn how to reflect, for example, on uh, framing failure and setbacks? How can, we use, how can we learn to use those things as something that is positive? Because I don't know about you, but failure and setbacks seem pretty inevitable. Um, so maybe it's the response that we have to those that is the powerful thing. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So if we just go back one step and think about, well, when you boil down the growth mindset, the growth mindset is this, the belief that you can improve with effort. And that's it. That is, at its core level, it's the belief you can improve with effort. And so whether that's improve your mathematical ability, whether that's to um, improve a relationship, whether that's to improve your level of self-awareness, whether that's to improve your health, the growth mindset is that, okay, I believe I can improve on those things with effort. So having that belief is one thing. But wanting to do that is something else entirely. So that's more the motivation piece. But going back to your idea of the of the of just honing in on the mindset, that question, you know, how do I do that on my own, or how do you do that on their own, or how does anybody do that for themselves? And, and I'm going to put to you that I think actually that's been the biggest flaw and the biggest shortcoming in the way that organisations and schools and perhaps generally anyone who's spoken about growth mindset has gone about it they think it's a you thing they think it's your responsibility to show up with the right mindset and if and if you don't like failure well that's on you and you need to sort your mindset out of late and i say of late you know probably in the last three or four years i've really started exploring well and i've used these lines a bit when i was talking a bit before um maybe it's not them 
Maybe it's not a you thing. Maybe it's an us thing. So, for example, right, why is somebody afraid of making mistakes? Generally, it's because they're worried about what other people will think of them. Yeah. They're worried about what parents might think. They're worried about what teachers might think. They're worried about what the boss might think. So, if, if, if I'm worried about making mistakes, it's not because I've woken up one day and suddenly thought, oh, I never want to make a mistake again. It's because I've woken up one day and realized that the, the people I have around me don't want me to make mistakes, whatever that means, right? And I'm just, just to be clear, I think it's so much more than just relationships with mistakes, but it's the conditions that we're in. So I think it's one of those, um, it, it's not a either or, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not the, the, the teacher's job to instill a growth mindset in the kids because here's the thing, they can't. And it's not the, the student's job to show up with a growth mindset because if they're just doing that in isolation, they can't. What, what we need to recognize and using that phrase allies again, that if we're in this together, how do we create a conditions where kids can make mistakes? And in fact, mistakes are expected because we're continually pushing people to be their best. And then once those mistakes are made, you know, there's no judgment attached to that. There's no blame. There's no embarrassment. There's no shame. It's more a case of saying, okay, that's interesting. I wonder what we can learn from that. And, and it, I, I can never get my head around why in schools mistakes are seen as such a bad thing. I mean, and, and they are, you know, and, and there might be people listening to this and they're going, oh, not in my classroom, Dan. You've not been in my classroom. We're so, and, and you know what? Maybe, maybe you're the one classroom in the world which has managed to get it where every kid feels that they can walk in and they're more interested in learning than they are on performance or judgment. Maybe, maybe they are. But my best guess is there's at least one kid who walks in feeling they need to prove themselves or protect themselves. Yeah. And the minute you walk into a room or a relationship or onto a sports field or into a boardroom and you feel you need to prove yourself or protect yourself, then there is no chance of you learning. There is no chance of demonstrating a growth mindset. And there's no chance of really finding out what it is you're capable of because you either revert to doing what you know you can do or making it impossible for anyone to um, allow you to show any vulnerability or weakness. You just shut down. You just don't answer any questions. You keep your head down, wait for the clock to tick over and then move on to the next classroom or meeting or training session whatever it might be yeah so yeah it's a that was a pretty long-winded answer and i'm not sure how much uh, value there was in there but i do think it, it's it's an us thing it's it's a it's an environmental thing it's yeah. not an individual thing no i dan thank you so much and there is i mean there's almost a podcast episode in every single one of those points that you raised but i think it's really important that it is that it is a collective approach um i think it's really really important and i'm just thinking now how many children are actually sitting in those classrooms terrified to put their hand up because they don't want to have a go and that's a real that's a real shame and i think um no i think there's some really important points thank you so much so and just, and just to throw that out because that's not always that's not just on the teacher right it's because no. the teachers might be saying hey don't worry about making mistakes but it's when a, a kid puts their hand up and says something and another kid smirks you know like laughs and the question, they might even get the answer right. And even that's not a, you know, even that's not a good thing. So I'm not saying that it's teachers who are responsible for this not happening. What I'm saying is that it really is 
everybody it's the parents it's the it's community at large you know do if we if we're serious about you know human flourishing thriving getting the whatever we want to talk about which most people who i speak to are interested in then being able to reframe this idea of um you know com competition in learning or um you know uh, competition be collaboration for example or um you know removing judgment Mm. I, I, I think I think we'd uncover a lot more um, opportunity for kids to to, to yeah. be the best. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking um, uh, about a quote that I remember: uh, the amazing uh, late Sir Ken Robinson was talking about how many uses, asking children how many uses there are for a paperclip, mm. and he said, "Well, what happens if the paperclip was ten feet tall?" And mm. so really starting to think a bit more in an abstract way about um, how we do this. And I think it's so important to to cause uh, or, or to create the environment, which you so wonderfully talked about before, for students to be able to learn, to be able to try things and to be able to make mistakes. Um, yeah, so, so important. Um, so Dan, you, um, you obviously work a lot with schools and we've touched on this a little bit. Um, what do you think that so many uh, teachers are leaving the profession. I mean, the statistics are pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, and you obviously work extensively with well-being, resilience, and positive psychology. And yeah. what are some of the issues that you see in terms of retaining great teachers? And do you feel optimistic about the way that it's heading? Yeah, okay. So um, one of the reasons so many leave is that so many enter as well. You know, like if you yeah. think about New right. South Wales Department of Education, they're the biggest employer in the state. So you're always going to have big numbers. Um, but I, the way I see it, there's you know there's a few there's a few reasons. One, you know, we should be honest. Some people leave because they realise it's just not for them. Yeah. It's just it's not what they thought it was going to be, and it's not that they get burnt out. It's not that they're overwhelmed. It's not that it, they just get there and they go. Actually, this is not what I thought it would be. Um, so that's number one. Then. We do know that a lot get in there and there's an added layer onto the fact that they think it's not for them in that it is nuts. <laughs> you know, let's, let's be yeah. quite clear, right? The teaching profession, I don't know at what point, I, I honestly do, do not know at what point people in charge of education thought, oh, we need, to, we need teachers to do more. You know, because it seems like it's almost a... a, a a, a yearly occurrence that we just add more and more and more and so problems arise there because and it's twofold problems arise there because you get some people who have gone into education and their values are so tightly aligned with education that they just take on more and more and more and more and they just do it year after year after year and that inevitably learns leads to burnout and it's not just burnout of that individual but it's their family members you know it's their it's their their own kids do you know what i mean like you have teachers who spend more time thinking about other people's kids than they do their own and so you get this knock-on effect because the values are so tightly aligned with education so they just they just take it on yep i'm doing it for the kids i'm doing it for the kids i'm doing it for the kids and and there comes a point where they simply can't do anymore so they so they leave for health reasons. The other challenge is when, well, what happens if my values aren't aligned with, with what I'm being asked to do? You know, like for example, I don't know too many teachers who went into education to boost their state's um, standardized test scores. 
right? Yeah. Or their schools, that, you know, they're not looking around and go, oh, I'm going to go to that school because they really need to boost their NAPLAN scores. And what happens is it might only sound like a little thing, but if the rhetoric in that environment is even slightly misaligned with mine, you know, so I'm there. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a slightly different example. We work with a, a, a high school department um, and we basically just, I say a high, uh, so subject department, yeah. Um, a couple of years ago and we asked them okay what's the purpose of this department and there was 10 teachers in it and they all had a different purpose they all had and and some of them weren't you know some of them were like okay well we want to get the best scores in the state the other one and it was an independent school and they were talking about they wanted to just get better scores than the school down the road and then another person would say no nah, i just want people to love this subject and then another people were saying i want as many kids as possible doing this subject and the problem is there was so much misalignment between there it was no surprise to us that we've been called in to try and help them work better yeah. together so the problem with this is right so if you're slightly misaligned and then you keep getting work piled on and that work seems to drive a bigger wedge between the alignment you don't get over you know you don't get burnt out you just get beaten down <laughs> you get demoralized you get like seriously what's the point of this see in the first instance when you get burnt out you know the point it's for the kids i'm just going to keep going and keep going keep going we hit a wall we burn out but in the second instance i'm talking about you don't see the point anymore you lose the re you lose the reason for doing what you're doing and the thing about humans is and this goes back to the idea of self-determination theory that i spoke about before if you if, if i can't tell you why i'm doing something well yeah you know what i'll do it for a while because i've got to pay a bill i've got to pay my mortgage but if i don't rediscover that why fairly soon i'm going to go looking elsewhere for it i'm going to find another way because what teachers what what i hope teachers recognize is that they've got so many transferable skills that they could they could walk into any organization and facilitate you know learning you know what i mean like and there are so many corporate organizations out there sporting organizations out there who are and i'm seeing this right who are who are looking for people who can facilitate learning and i don't mean classroom style but i mean you know one-on-one -on -one work with people or exploring new areas and i i actually think you know I'm, I'm sort of playing with this idea at the moment because i work with some um people who are absolutely feeling either burnt out or um or this you know demoralized beaten down bit you know and they'll say to me things like yeah but dan i can't walk away i don't want to admit defeat and i'm going well what if that isn't defeat <laughs> what if that's a win walking away you know what if it what if staying in this and feeling like this for the rest of your professional career, what if that is defeat? Because just to go back to my first instance, I, and I don't know to what extent, um, you know, this is a politically correct way of putting it, but I'm not convinced the department or those, and I'm talking broadly, but you know, I'm not convinced those people above the schools, above the levels of the schools, be they, public departments or be they boards of independent schools i'm not convinced they're that interested in creating environments where people can thrive and flourish because i'm seeing no evidence of it i'm seeing i'm seeing no evidence that they have the slightest understanding of what goes on and and you know this might put me offside with a few people in those spaces but it, it, i'm not working with them i'm working with the people i'm working with principals who 
break down in tears with me. I'm working with early career teachers who are going, you know what, Dan, I've been here two years and I'm, I'm done. I'm cooked. I want to leave. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah. And, then, you know, and, 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 it, and it frustrates me no end because these are good people, Matt. These are good people who are just being beaten down or burnt out. And, mm. and it strikes me that the people who should be responsible and, and at least aware of that aren't. Let me give you one example. Let me give you one example. I got called into Nessa. Um, this is a couple of years ago. I got called into Nessa because we put together a program for early career teachers to help with their well-being. And the first question I got asked was, "Do you really think there's a need for this?" <laughs> and this was Nessa. Do you really think? There's... And I thought I actually said, "Is that a trick question? Are you trying to catch me out here?" Like, of course, what do you mean? Do I think there's a need to help with the well-being of new teachers? Yeah. So that, that's the level, that, in my opinion, that you're working with. And, and it, frust it frustrates me. And, I've got, and I don't have to see it every day. So, yeah, yeah I, that was a rant. I'm sorry. but it uh, just, yeah, do, you know, do you know what, Dan? And, and, and the, the truth is, is whether people agree or disagree, I mean, that's fine. That's up to them. But I think what is important is to have these conversations because... Mm -hmm there does seem to be a, such a mismatch between um, reality and ideals. And I think it's really, really important. And, and that's one of the reasons why I um, continue to be so drawn to your work, um, because you know how important it is to create these environments where people thrive. Mm. And it's absolutely important. And if we're not, I mean, you only have to look at some of the amazing work by Professor John Hattie with effect sizes and the importance of the role of the teacher. Um, if we don't have if we don't have teachers that feel excited to go to work, if we don't have school systems that create these cultures of innovation, um, these um, spaces where students feel safe enough to make mistakes, mm. then I don't really know what we're doing. So I think it's some really really important points that you're raising, and I'm incredibly incredibly grateful that you put yourself out there and uh, and, and be honest about that. Um, just a couple more questions, Dan, because I do want to be respectful of your time. Um, what do you think uh, this ongoing pandemic has taught us about the role of educators and the complexities of the job? I know you briefly touched on some of the points about how complicated teaching is, but what do you think we're beginning to learn about, firstly, the role of schools and also the incredible job that our teachers are doing? Because um, we're very much, um, depending on where you're listening to this podcast, we're very much still uh, in the midst of a, a global pandemic. And so yeah. what are your thoughts on that, just briefly? I think, um, so I can look at it through two lenses. I can compare it sort of, you know, with the, the Australian experience and then yeah. compare it with the UK experience with my sister's daughter who has not been, or they've only just gone back to school after months of, yeah. of being at home. And, you know, you compare that to then the Australian experience where even where we've had big lockdowns in, in Victoria, it's not been comparable to the, to the UK one necessarily. Um, although obviously last year was was significant for Victoria, but um, what role do I think schools play in that? I think the first one, and you know, going back to that idea of um, being a rock, you know, having that that place, that consistent place where people can come together um, and and just be. And yeah. again, that's that, that sounds a bit mushy, but I think you know that sense of belonging that schools can provide it's like any community group you know it's like any family group um, the most important factor is well do i feel like i belong here and i think it was hard not impossible but i think it was hard to recreate that over google classroom or 
um, over Zoom chats. I'm not saying it's, I'm, I'm, just to be clear, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I do think it's harder to do. Uh, particularly for those kids who are maybe new to a school or those kids who are, you know, I saw it with my own um, son who was in his final year of primary school before going to high school. Gosh. And, you know, just the disconnected nature of, of that final year ahead of a big transitional period. Or those kids who, you know, are in, kin in kindergarten for the first year. And not just those kids, but those families who perhaps were... Yeah school families for the first time. Yes. That definitely provided some significant challenges there. But the one thing that, you know, that I think came out of it was watching, and, and again, I'm not really interested in what um, shock jock or, you know, um, talking heads on TV make of, uh, of, of the school's response, but being on the ground and working with schools, the way in which they responded, um, not only to the global pandemic, but then again, the pressures that were coming because, again, depending on the system you're working in, there wasn't much clarity from above. Like, what, am I, what are we supposed to be doing here? What are the rules? How do we change here? You know, then you've got um, different teachers with different health issues who could come in, can't come in. Um, and, and yet what I noticed, again, with the schools I was working with, was it was a remarkable level of um, clarity from the principal, from the, the leadership groups to say, okay, well, this, we don't actually know how this is going to pan out, but this is what we're going to do. This is what we're focusing on. And yeah. then what do we learn from that? And what we learned from it, again, and I'm only speaking now with the schools we're working with during this time, but we learned that the new teachers were far more um, supported in the, or, or were actually more vocal in the collaboration in the ideas phase because all of a sudden now the expert teacher <coughs> who perhaps they all looked up to previously well the expert teacher had never taught in a pandemic before they'd never had to use google hangouts or whatever it might be but the new teachers the younger teachers for want of a better word um had got experience of these kind of platforms and were able to offer ideas and they were taken on par on, a, on the same level as others. And, and that's something that we've really tried to work hard at keeping in the schools we're working in, in in 2021 is saying, okay, well, let's not revert back to the old method now. Let's make sure that everyone around this table has a voice in, in the collaboration space. Let's, you know, how do we, how do we now move forward and ensure that the kid who actually thrived at home online because they weren't dealing with the social pressures of being in the classroom. How do we now make sure that they continue to thrive if they have to come back into the classroom with with all those social pressures? So um, yeah, the agility and the I think it was a real um, a real time of learning because we had to. You know, we had to try new things. Before there was never any there was no case for change. Before yeah, we could change. But there was no need to but last year there was an absolute need to change the way we worked and, and yeah. I, think, um, I, I guess and I, I mean this um, with the utmost respect because I know that there are some people that have unfortunately across the world lost loved ones and it's a really mm -hmm. really challenging time but there is also nothing like a crisis to force us to ask these questions and actually yeah. say okay why are we here what are the essential components of what we do and yeah, really, really, really important. And I guess time will tell if um, um, of the impacts of, of this pandemic. And uh, Dan, I honestly, I could I could continue to speak to you for, for hours. And I, like I said, I do want to be um, respectful of your time. Um, just a couple of final questions. Um, 
where can people find more out about you? What's a good place? If people have never heard of your work, if people would like to stay updated with what you're doing, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, my website's the best place because you can then access all my different yeah. social media or my own podcast. But so that's just um, danhasler.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I say, you can access everything there. Um, Fantastic. And can I um, obviously say thank you for being so responsive uh, on emails and, and Twitter, and and so I can I, I don't want to you to have an influx of people that need that you need to get back to, but you are very responsive. So uh, thank you for that. Um, uh, Dan, just a just a final question uh, before uh, I leave you. Who do you think would be a great guest um, for the podcast? Who's someone that you go? Look, this person is doing something really interesting. Apart from uh, Carol Dweck, would be amazing, um, uh, but uh, maybe I don't have quite have the leverage to ask her yet. But what's someone that you think would be great to hear from? Who would you like to tune in and hear about? Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting you say uh, you know the leverage for Carol Dweck. I mean, because what one of the things that podcast has done is it's kind of um, leveled the playing field. That's true. Um, yeah, and for my own podcast, for example, I've had. Carol Dweck come on, I, I had the oh. Ken on twice before unfortunately he passed away, uh, Dan Pink's been on, and it's, it, I'm, not, I'm not being, you know, it is as simple as an email, um, so I, I wouldn't actually, um, I wouldn't actually limit who you think you, you can or can't get, There's, you know, what's the worst that can happen, you send an email and they come back, well, the worst that can happen is they ignore you, but at the end of the day, no worries. But the you know, second worst thing is they don't ignore you, but they go, sorry, I can't right now. But it's remarkable for me how many times... I would agree. In, yeah. fact, in fact, I've only had one person come back and say no, that they, they, they weren't interested in doing it. So, um, as I say, I just um, yeah, reach out and send emails. But in terms of... And I'm not going to necessarily name-check anyone in particular, but I think there's some good... Maybe I'll tell you some off air that you might you might go after, but there's, no. I think there's some good principles doing some really interesting um, stuff that yeah. um, you know the way they engage with the community in, in novel ways, or um, you know they just push the envelope a little bit um, in, in what might be possible or, or what's not possible. So, well, uh, Dan, I will. Uh, you have my word, and for those people that are listening, please feel free to check up on me. I will uh, put my big pa big boy pants on and send an email to uh, Carol and also Dan. And, and what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Um, I've been so thrilled by just the generosity of um, educators. And I'm uh, recently discovering this amazing medium of podcasting. And so yeah. people like yourself that, that um, just want to share some of the amazing work that they're doing. It's an incredibly generous community. So uh, I'll give you a tip. Find yeah. someone who's just published a book. I'm sorry. Right. If, you, if, if you go through and find someone who's just published a book or has got a book pub due to come out, they, they'll say yes because their publisher says, go get on as many podcasts as you can to spread the word. So that, from a very practical point of view, that, that would be one way of going about it. All right. Well, Dan, I'll definitely do that. And, and can I just say thank you so much um, for your time and your generosity, your... Mm -hmm. Uh, work continues to inspire me and um, uh, thank you for everything that you're investing into our amazing profession. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Bye.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.